What's up, everyone? And welcome to episode number 32 of the Two Metal for This podcast. I'm Jason, and with me, as always, is Justin. How's it going, everybody? And Bobby. Bobby, you there? Oh, that's right. Bobby can't be with us today. He's a little too metal for us today. He's going to see the Carcass Show tonight at the Orpheum in mm-hmm. Tampa. We'll be talking to him about this show soon on an upcoming episode. But in the meantime, we want to start the show out with some gratitude. Thank you to everyone that's been checking out the show. We really appreciate the support. Remember to give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to the show. And if you got time, go give us a five-star rating on a platform that you don't use to listen to the show. (laughs) That'll help move us up in the podcast charts and expose us to more people. And we would really appreciate that. Also, give us a like and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Two Metal for This, and leave us some feedback or drop your own six list in the comments section, and we'll shout you out on the next episode. This week, we want to shout out Jeff Zapita. Definitely cool to see that we've turned you on to some new bands. Feel free to drop any band suggestions that you may have for us in the comments as well, so we can check that out. All right, everyone. With Bobby being out today, we're going to be bringing you a special Tales from the Tour episode. We're also going to drop a couple of album reviews for you. But before we get into that, here's Justin with the news. The news. All right. Bad Omens announced a headlining run titled Concrete Forever. Era and Sea Stars will join them. The tour starts September 1st in Houston, ends October 13th in Dallas. If you're local to Central Florida, September 5th, they'll be in St. Pete, and September 6th in Orlando. Uh, however, tickets pretty much sold out instantly, and reseller prices skyrocketed between, from what I've seen as of this recording, 160 up to 300 with some really insane prices beyond that on a couple of tickets. Um, it's pretty crazy to me how quick this sold out everywhere. And then them resale prices are just insanity to me, but good for bad omens. Next run, let's get some bigger venues, I guess. (laughs) Are any of our listeners fans of bad omens? Uh, leave us some comments, explain the hype to us. I don't dislike the band. I seen them live. I thought they put on a good show. I've tried to listen to the albums and it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really do it for me. Let us know what you like about this band. I'm curious. Maybe we're missing something. Yeah, they're definitely popular. What I read, I mean, there were people in the queue when they went on sale and they still couldn't get tickets. Like, it was fast. So, not like Bad Omens. Goat Whore added 11 more headlining dates starting May 21st in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Wrapping up June 3rd in Houston. As of this recording, support bands have not been announced for the headlining dates. Uh, But these dates are in addition to the three we mentioned last week. Goat Whore will also be in support of I Hate God on their headlining tour, uh, which started this past weekend in Atlanta. And that wraps up April 29th in Denton, Texas. So lots of opportunity to see Goat Whore if you're interested. Clutch announced a third leg of their No Stars Above tour. Uh, This time they will have Giovanni and the Hired Guns. And Mike Dillon and Punkadelic will open. The leg starts August 9th in Seattle, wraps up August 27th in Charlotte, North Carolina. The first leg of this tour kicks off today, April 11th in Norfolk, Virginia, ends May 18th in Sariville, New Jersey. I think I said that name last time wrong as well, but it is what it is. Uh, The first leg will see Nate Bergman and Amigo the Devil open. Uh, The second leg then begins July 21st in Washington, D.C., and ends August 5th in Denver, Colorado. That will have Dinosaur Jr. and Red Fang open. So Clutch will be on tour from April 11th, basically through August 27th, playing 50-plus shows. So if you want to see Clutch and you're in North America, I'm guessing they're coming to a city near you, so just look it up and you should be able to get some tickets. That is a long-ass tour. Yeah, I think they take the month of June off in there or a couple of weeks. But yeah, they're nonstop on the road. 
And you can always count on Clutch to bring some odd choices out on tour. It's always a weird mix of bands. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's not a ton of bands that sound like Clutch, but I mean, they brought everything from Hatebreed to Amigo the Devil, now Giovanni and the Hired Guns. Like, that's yeah. That's odd. Yep. From Ashes to New announced a few more headlining dates. Uh, May 13th, they'll be in Grand Junction, Colorado. May 16th in Austin, Texas. And May 17th in Dallas, Texas. Uh, they had announced a few dates last week as well. Tickets might still be available as of this recording, but I know they were running low. They still have not announced who the opening bands are going to be, but from Ashes to New, we'll have some headlining dates this spring going into the summer. The Deathcore Ain't Dead Tour featuring Oceano through the Eyes of the Dead and Tracheonomy will kick off June 23rd in Chicago and ends July 2nd in Louisville, Kentucky. Deathcore definitely ain't dead. We will talk more about that later in the episode. Necro Goblicon will tour with Inferi and Aetherreal and Hunt the Dinosaur next month. If I said any of those band names wrong, I apologize. Uh, but Necrogoblicon will be without vocalist Nikki Calone. Filling in for the Scorpion will be Dickie Allen from Infant Annihilator and Project Vengeance. Uh, the tour starts May 9th in Phoenix, Arizona, ends June 17th in Los Angeles, California. If you're local, the Florida date is May 17th in Orlando. Anthrax drummer Charlie Benante says Anthrax will enter the studio soon to record their 12th studio album which will be the follow-up to 2016's For All Kings. The album is expected out sometime next year in 2024. Former Motley Crue guitarist Mick Mars filed a lawsuit recently against the band, allegedly for screwing him over financially with lower percentages of income. The lawsuit also claims Mars was fired instead of voluntarily stepping down, accusing Motley Crue bassist Nikki Six of significantly gaslighting him about getting worse as a guitar player. He also states that Motley Crue's live shows in their 2015 farewell tour were largely using backing tracks, and specifically Nikki Six. Almost all of his bass was, according to Mars, backing tracks, and he wasn't really playing live anymore. So I have a couple of thoughts on that. Number one, I have no trouble believing that Motley Crue uses tracks. But if they do, they use them pretty poorly. (laughs) How come Vince Neil still sounds like shit if they're using tracks? Terrible. Maybe he's not using them. I don't know. But yeah, if they're using tracks, they're not very good at it. But we saw video, you know, where... We heard drums playing and Tommy wasn't behind the kit, you know, so I I don't have any problem believing that. But unfortunately, I just feel like this whole thing is is an embarrassment. The band is tarnishing what's left of their legacy. They've already become a bit of a joke at this point. They probably should have stayed retired when they retired. But instead, they've come back and it's been nonstop controversy about the tracks. And now this petty feuding back and forth. I mean, they're really just making themselves look bad. I hate that all of this stuff always has to be aired out publicly. And I'm sure that it's probably the attorneys and stuff that are involved that are probably actually leaking these things to the press in the first place. But, I mean, these types of things should be handled amongst the band. We shouldn't even be having this conversation. No. And there's, there's a lot more to it. They are going back and forth. You can find it if you Google the story. You'll you'll see all the quotes going back and forth of what was allegedly said by Mick, and then what the band's countering with and saying this is what really happened. It's a bunch of grumpy old men arguing, basically. Yeah, and it's really hard to know who's telling the truth and who's not. I mean, at this point, the only thing we can be sure of is that Tommy Lee has a giant hog. Oh God, it ain't for pussies. I'm Jason G. Golly McJarvis with some new music I'm going to share with you here today. I'm going to rate this stuff on a scale of one to six upside down pentagrams. The intention is not to hurt anybody's feelings, but I ain't here to suck anybody's dick. If I don't like it, I'll tell you. If I do like it, I'll fucking tell you. All right, everyone. So as you know, Bobby is not here today. 
but we want to give you a couple of reviews anyway. So as opposed to reviewing new albums, we're going to review a couple of Deathcore albums for you that have already been out for a while. And then we're going to do a Spotlight album for you. So I'm going to start out. went back this week and listened to Ken from Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the band's 2021 album and their most recent release to date. It's 11 songs, 47 minutes. Obviously, Whitechapel are known as pioneers of the deathcore scene. However, save for a few moments here and there, this album largely sees the band move away from their deathcore roots in favor of a more melodic death metal sound. I know it was controversial direction at the time and divided their longtime fan base. However, for me, I've only ever been a casual listener of this band, so I don't really have any attachment to their old sound. So for me, this new direction absolutely pays off. Uh, The heaviness is still here, as evidenced in the opening track, I Will Find You. They just released a music video for that song, by the way. If you haven't checked that out, it's a pretty badass music video, so check that out. It starts out with this hauntingly eerie intro before getting into some absolutely pummeling guitar riffing. The deathcore growls are still prevalent. However, towards the middle of the song, we get some clean, melodic vocals that actually add a really nice contrast to the song. Uh, This album is sort of a concept album about dealing with the two parts of one's personality. And I think the contrasting vocals actually work perfectly to paint that picture. Uh, We're also treated to an epic guitar solo on this track as well. The heaviness continues with the next track, Lost Boy. This one follows a very similar formula to the last song. And in lieu of a breakdown, we get a melodic break in the middle of the song. A Blood-Soaked Symphony is probably the heaviest song on the album and will definitely make all the old school fans happy. Uh, And what may be my favorite song on the album, Anti-Cure, the band goes full-on ballad, and it's actually surprisingly good. However, even on this one, they didn't completely abandon the heaviness. We still get some growling vocals and some heavy guitar towards the midpoint of the song. Uh, This is a really interesting album in the way that it flows. Because normally I would have an issue with the album losing momentum towards the end. Because the album starts out really fast and heavy, and it gradually gets more melodic and slow. Yet somehow it seemed to be exactly what was needed to properly tell the story that the band were trying to tell here. It even ends with the almost completely acoustic track, Ken, which to me is a perfect closer. Overall, I can see where this would definitely be a divisive album for people that have been listening to the band for a long time. But for me, I much prefer the sound on this album versus the band's older music. I kind of hope to see them continue in this direction. Uh, Overall, I give this one a five out of six upside down pentagrams. And Justin's got another review for us this week. What you got for us, Justin? This week, I'm going to go back and review the Winds of Plague album Against the World. I've talked about a few songs from this album previously, but I wanted to give a full uh, review of it this week. Uh, Against the World was the third studio album from Winds of Plague, and it was released back in 2011. It's 12 tracks, just 38 minutes, so it goes by pretty quick. Opens with a brooding orchestra and children chanting Raise the Dead before the band kicks in and gives you a taste of what's to come. Uh, It leads right into track two, which is One for the Butcher, which features the killer drumming of Art Cruz who these days is sitting behind the drum kit for Lamb of God, but he's also been in Prong previously. Uh, Those creepy-ass kids return about three minutes into this song, which I thought was a nice touch for the breakdown to close it out. Track three, Drop the Match, goes a little more groove and kind of hardcore here. There's a great bounce to this one leading into the breakdown, screaming, burn this motherfucker down. I'm sure that shit played great live when this band used to tour. Uh, Next up is Built for War. This is my personal favorite song on the album. There's an absolutely nasty breakdown leading into Jamie Josta's uh, guest appearance for his brutal verse to close out the track. If you only check out one song from this album, this is the one, Built for War. If that shit doesn't get you hyped, I just don't know what to tell you. Now we go to uh, Refined in Wars, track five. Uh, It's the lead single from the album. Uh, The lyric, I fear no evil, evil fucking fears me. Good shit right there. Uh, Another fun song with a great bounce and a catchy hook. Track three sees uh, like a monologue from wrestling legend, The Ultimate Warrior, uh, which in hindsight kind of sounds like his eulogy. 
but it's still a pretty cool track overall to check out. Against the World opens with a killer scream effect and more crazy drumming from Art Cruz. He really does stand out on this album. Uh, Monsters and Most Hated continue to deliver. You get to track 10. That's titled, oh, The Only Song We're Allowed to Play in Church Venues. It's an instrumental that takes you on a ride back and forth. Uh, pretty cool stuff. California and Strength to Dominate close out this album very strong. Something I somehow did not find out until this week when I was researching more about the album is there is a B-side on the California single EP uh, that came out. And it's a cover of the Cranberry song, Zombie. Never knew Winds of Plague covered Zombie. It's not on Spotify. You have to look this one up on YouTube if you want to find it. It might be on iTunes as well. Uh, but it's a pretty, pretty solid cover that's definitely worth looking up. It's a different take on the song. I've said it before, but I'll repeat it here. Modern Deathcore, whether they realize it or not, owe a lot to Winds of Plague. Uh, they were pretty innovative, mixing the symphonic elements in with those crazy breakdowns. They were kind of pioneers of the genre. And this album in particular led the charge for me. Uh, it laid the groundwork. They were ahead of their time. Against the World from Winds of Plague gets a very solid five out of six for me. Fuck yeah. I didn't know about that cover either. I'm definitely going to be checking that shit out. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. Our spotlight album this week is going to be on Of Sulfur with their album The Burden of Faith. This one was released on March 24th of this year. It's 10 songs, 44 minutes. We talked briefly about this album a few episodes ago and referenced how the clean vocals had officially infiltrated the death core. With Bobby being out today, Justin and I decided to go ahead and give this one a proper review. Uh, if you would have asked me a few weeks ago, because of all my initial excitement for this album, I probably would have thrown a six out there right out of the gate. So let's see how that view has held up over the past couple of weeks. Uh, the album starts out with the song Stained and Rot, and it goes fucking hard. Much like a Lorna Shore, they rely pretty heavy on the symphonics to create a lot of atmosphere in their songs, and I'm here for that. Unlike Lorna Shore... We've got real deathcore breakdowns present all over this one with some filthy gutturals. We've also got several guest features on this album, including Alex Terrible from Slaughter to Prevail, who was on the second song, Be Fowler. Uh, it's especially interesting to hear Alex on a song with clean vocals hmm. and with the black metal style vocals, because those are things that you don't really hear in Slaughter to Prevail. They sound pretty fucking great together, and the hook on this song is so fucking catchy you could almost imagine it being played on your local dad rock station. <laughs> but then it goes back to the heavy and you realize it would give your average dad a major cardiac event. <laughs> the next track also has a guest vocalist with Taylor Barber of Left to Suffer and what is probably the heaviest song on the album. This shit takes you to a dark place. I was almost waiting for a demon to be summoned in my office the first time I heard it. Another standout song is Earthen. This is probably my favorite song that doesn't feature a guest vocalist. It's got all the elements, deathcore breakdowns, symphonics, clean singing, absolutely haunting keyboards, and a beautiful guitar solo. It's almost a perfect song, to be honest. We're also treated to a guest spot by the one and only Howard Jones from Kill Switch Engage and Light the Torch. Howard's deep baritone vocals really complement the dark, heavy song. Almost in a similar way to a Peter Steele complimented the gothic style of Typo Negative. The closing track features Lindsay Schoolcraft. If you're not familiar with her, she's a solo artist that composes ethereal gothic music, uh, as well as Kyle Medina from Body Snatcher. 
To say it's the perfect closer would be an understatement. Mm. The band go out with a bang here and definitely leave you wanting more. Overall, there's just a few spots in the middle of the album where the band lose a little bit of momentum and lose my interest, albeit very briefly. Uh, but for that reason, I give this one a five out of six upside down pentagrams. What do you think, Justin? Of Sulfur, The Burden of Faith. Uh, they actually had a six-track EP in 2021, but this is the first full-length album from Of Sulfur. Uh, they're led by vocalist Ricky Hoover, who is formerly of Suffocate, if you're familiar. Uh, but he hadn't recorded anything in a little over a decade from what I was able to find out. Uh, they also have Chase Wilson on guitars, and I believe he's the one doing the clean vocals. Ding is on bass, and Leviathan is on drums. Yes, those are the names they're going by, but that's okay. The first track doesn't fuck around and gets right into it. It's what you expect from Deathcore until about that 130 mark. And then as Jason mentioned, this is where you get your first taste of what's different about this album from other Deathcore albums. That's where the clean vocals start to come in. They are minimal on the opening track, but they are there and they get you ready for what you will hear throughout the entire album. Uh, three minutes into this song, it goes into your traditional deathcore breakdown, which you will also get in just about every single song uh, with some deep gutturals. Uh, track two, uh, we do get Alex Terrible from Slaughter to Prevail. I'm pretty sure he's uh, just arriving at the breakdown near the end of the track. I don't really hear him much throughout the song, but his part is definitely cool and it is a good track. Uh, the chorus on this song does include more clean vocals that make it lean more into metalcore at times rather than deathcore. Um, track three does have Taylor Barber from Left to Suffer. The symphonic elements really start to come to the forefront on this track. Uh, number five is Earthen. To me, this is the most complete song on the album. It mixes a lot of the different styles you hear seamlessly and finishes with the absolutely nasty drop and some sick gutturals fading out into the symphonic stuff. Uh, track seven is just a quick one minute kind of instrumental with a little vocal over it leading into my favorite track on the album, I Apostate, which opens with a pretty cool riff. And then it builds into some of that blackened death core that we got earlier in the album. Uh, there's a sick breakdown two minutes and 30 seconds into the song going into a really cool guitar solo and a neck breaking breakdown to close out the track. The next track, which is number eight, Features Howard Jones from Light the Torch, more famously from Kill Switch Engage. Howard handles the chorus, which is the most metalcore moment on this entire album. I do think they do a great job of mixing deathcore and metalcore together with these clean vocals. It's a really cool sound that I'm excited to hear more of in the future. Uh, you still get the machine gun drums, killer brows, and breakdowns that you're familiar with with deathcore. The album finishes strong. The closing track is absolutely killer and is probably as close to a perfect closer as you can get as jason mentioned um if i redid the closing tracks list i'm not saying it would make it but it is it would definitely be in contention it is very good um there's a lot of good shit here it's a brutal album mixing cleans uh that never really take away from that deathcore foundation of the gutturals and the breakdowns that you're used to uh this was a very fun listen and i'm looking forward to see where this band goes moving forward as I mentioned, this is their first full-length album, so there's lots of potential here to do some really, really cool shit. Of the Deathcore albums we reviewed this year, and there's been quite a few, uh, this is the best one to come out this year so far, and I give it a four and a half out of six. Bobby, what'd you think of this album? Six positive things coming up. Count me down, fellas. Six. Dildos. Five. Your bosom is quite appealing. Four. It's yeah. kind of weird. She fucked Ooh. that duck. Three. You ready? <laughs> Two. I pull my drawers to the side when I take a shit. And one. Go fuck yourself. There you have it, folks. Of Sulfur with their album, The Burden of Faith. Check that shit out. All right, everyone. So in honor of this episode, which turned out to be a bit of a tribute to Deathcore, I suppose, uh, we're going to be replaying the initial discussion we had around the Lorna Shore Pain Remains album. Uh, we originally discussed this album six months ago when it came out. 
I'm going to replay that conversation for you. And then Justin and I are going to be back on the other side with some follow-up thoughts on that. All right, so Lorna Shore released Pain Remains this week. If you're unfamiliar with the band, they formed back in 2010. But the big change in momentum for this band happened when vocalist Will Ramos officially joined. Uh, They would release an EP titled And I Return to Nothingness. It jumped to number one on the iTunes metal chart and propelled the band into one of the most hype metal bands around right now. Lorna Shore's Pain Remains. Bobby, what do you think about this album? I'll tell you this, if you don't know what you're getting into, uh, this is serious business. This is not for the people with soft-ass bitch ears. This shit's fucking intense. Yeah, this album comes out of the gate and smashes you right in the face over and over and over again. Sounds like if you opened the mouth of hell and just looked inside and listened, the song Into the Earth, that's what it reminds me of. Just a demon coming out of hell. It's absolutely brutal force and a standout track on the album. I think there's layers upon layers. It takes several listens to really appreciate what's going on here. Like what they did with the, like the first seven songs could be its own album. And then they end it with the three part title track, which could be its own little EP. So uh, I didn't like the last three songs as much because they had a lot of the uh, Phantom and Alpha Orchestra stuff going on there. And I, I, I wouldn't really kick that on, but the, the first seven, I can consider its own album. I can kick that on. It was pretty neat. A lot of cool audio stunts they're doing in there. Um, I don't think you're going to hear those in any other genre of music. Uh, it did make me think of Day 666 of World War Three, where we're fighting fucking AI super soldiers and your buddies, some sort of mutant freak, all hopped up on Red Bull and Taki dust, and you're just shooting like laser chainsaws at people and acids blowing up. It was fucking intense. I had a really bad day at work, and then I came home and listened to that shit, and I was just one man mosh pitting it on the fucking porch, just losing my goddamn shit. If the neighbors saw, they probably thought there was a giant bee out there attacking me because I had my fucking headphones and just it. It was it, it. It was impressive. A lot of neat shit going on, and I was happy I fucking checked it out. And, and that mood, uh, it's it's not a casual listen, people. If you if you're going to Bed Bath and Beyond to get a new fucking candle, this ain't the shit. You know what I mean? You want some good headphones or a good car stereo not your clock radio speakers this is this is a it's an event for your ears you know it's ear candy even if you don't like this shit listen to the first song and you know just so you got something to fucking talk about like jesus christ lorna shore if i do you like metal and you're like i like lorna shore i'm like fucking serious business okay that's this conversation's changed a little bit it ain't for pussies i really enjoyed the final three tracks pain remains I think it tells a very good story there lyrically you probably are not going to catch what he's talking about at first but if you look deeper into it and really listen it's uh it's a pretty heavy heavy song not just musically but lyrically uh, i consider it one song all three together it's about 20 minutes long those three so it could be its own ep on its own jason what do you think about this album man i just second what bobby said like i, I was kind of smiling when you were talking about it i was probably on my way to work when you were on your way home and, you know, I'm getting cut off in traffic and everything. I'm just grinning from ear to ear listening to this stuff, man. And it's funny because it's it's so chaotic and brutal. But there's something that's like calming and beautiful about it. Like it's it's awesome. Um, one thing I wanted to note, though, I think the band's kind of outgrown the deathcore tag. I listened to that album. I really didn't get deathcore. I got like black and death metal. That's what I got out of it. Yes. No coreness in there at all. Nah. These are the kings of the genre that they're creating right now. Mm. They're about to embark on a nearly sold-out tour. Uh, Aborted is supporting them. Okay. There's only a few dates left that even have tickets available. Um, so they've not only outgrown the genre, but probably outgrown the places they're playing in right now. Well, that says uh, something that it's a near-sold-out tour from an album that just dropped with a new singer. Yeah, because with this singer, they've only released the EP before this. Uh, I read something that on the article on that fella, and he was saying that the the last recording, he kind of didn't really know what where he was going to go, what how to what's going to land, what's going to work, and he was kind of you know held back. And on this album, the guys were just like, "Dude, just do what feels comfortable." And that's how he came up with the concept album with this lucid dream thing. And I was reading that, and I was like, I'm not going to listen to your lyrics, but you're presenting something where I'm going to feel something. I was cool. And I felt like I was on a fucking futuristic battlefield massacre, and that was cool. That's a cool thing to 
imagine you're in, you know what I'm saying? It's not your usual, oh, the world's against me and no one understands and you're fucking angsty boat. Now let's fucking sing about some weird shit. You know? That's pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Do not sleep on this band. Do not sleep on this album. Lorna Shores, Pain Remains. It's uh, 10 songs, an hour. So, Justin, now that we've had six months to live with this album, what do you think about your initial opinion and how, how does that hold up? Well, we weren't rating anything back then. So it's interesting. We can't base it off of like a uh, rating, but uh, I, I enjoyed this album more than I ever thought I would right away. And as time has went on, uh, this album is played almost daily for me. I would say daily. There might be a couple of days where I skip it, but this is the most played album that I have had over the last six months. There's a weird calming effect when I play this madness from Lorna Shore, where if I'm at work and I'm having trouble focusing, you know, normally you'd play something to calm your mind, not me. I'm putting Pain Remains on and I get uber focused and I don't know what it is about the album, but I keep going back to it and back and back and I appreciate it more and more the more I listen to it. Yeah, so it's interesting uh kind of listening back to our initial thoughts. I know at the time I had listened to the album twice. And even then I talked about how it had that calming effect. You know, I talked about being in traffic and how it, there was shitty stuff happening all around me. And I was just in a great fucking mood. And that has continued on. Um, and I would say exactly the same thing. I mean, uh, Justin and I both work primarily in like an office environment where we're at our, our desk. Unfortunately, there's been very few days that have passed in the last six months that I haven't played this album at least once. Every once in a while, I may take a little break from it, but there is literally no other album that helps me focus and concentrate the way that this album does. And it's odd because normally when that happens, you're not paying attention to the album. But it's weird because I find myself being able to focus on the album and being able to focus on my work and just be super productive whenever I'm listening to this. It's a it's a stress reliever. And I don't know if that's, you know, if we're just kind of healing through, you know, Will Ramos's vocal delivery or what it is. But something about it is just it's it gives you like a real feeling of Zen when you listen to it. Yeah. And I don't. I'm not going to take away from any other deathcore bands out there, but there's like seems to be a deeper lyrical meaning behind this album that you don't really generally see in the genre. And maybe that's part of it. I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think that the lyrics come from a much more personal place. And, you know, musically, I think that the atmosphere that they've created with adding all of these uh, symphonic elements and stuff, it's a whole different vibe than what you would get. I mean, nothing against, like you said, any of the other deathcore bands, but I'm not going to put on Chelsea grin and, you know, be in a chill, relaxed mood when I'm at work. I'm probably going to try to throw a chair out the window. Like it's not the same thing. It's not the same vibe. So it's just interesting. I feel like they've really created something that is their own and not, no one else has really captured that yet, but this may be the beginning of something. Yeah, I think they're... I said it in the interview. I said it in the review that they're kind of leading the charge in this genre that they're creating. And there's a somewhat famous YouTuber who called it Romantic Deathcore. And you really start to look at some of the lyrics that's going on here. It kind of goes into that. I like that. That's That's pretty appropriate. I'm not too metal to say that. So Justin also mentioned, uh, you know, we reviewed this album pretty, pretty early on uh, when we started the podcast. So at that point, we were not assigning ratings to our Spotlight album. Uh, but Justin, if you had to assign a rating today, what, how would you rate this album? Based on the fact that I don't think there is a weak song on this album anywhere, I think they are groundbreaking in what they are doing technically on top of everything 
And Will delivers pretty much perfect vocals here uh, with a range that I don't know if any other deathcore singer is doing. And I listen to this album almost daily. I think it's pretty obvious where I'm going here. This is the best album I've probably heard in the last year, maybe longer. This is a six out of six for me. Lorna Shore should have been my number one album uh, last year. And if we revisit that later on, it just might be. I, I mean, I have to agree. Being that I listen to the album almost daily, it's hard to assign a rating of anything less than a six out of six. Six, six, six. Unfortunately, Bobby is not here today. Again, he is partying hard at the Carcass concert, and we hope he's having a good fucking time. But we will touch base with Bobby on the next episode so that he can follow up and tell us how he would rate this album. So that's it, folks. Lorna Shore's Pain Remains. If you haven't heard it in the last six months, go check it out. They're on tour now. We just seen them the other day, and we're going to go in to talk about that. this episode of tales from the tour uh myself and jason and amy numbers went to the pain remains tour it was uh this past wednesday april 5th it was in janus live which is in saint pete if you're not local to florida uh the opening band was boundaries we also had body snatcher and brand of sacrifice shadow of intent and, of course, the headline was Lorna Shore. Uh, when I got there, Boundaries was already playing, but Jason and Amy Numbers were up on the balcony. What did you think of Boundaries, Jason? So going into this show, Boundaries, aside from Lorna Shore, Boundaries was the band I was most excited to see. They did not disappoint me. Uh, however, when I looked at the progression of the night, I do think they were appropriately placed as the opener. Number one, they were kind of the outlier on this tour. You had four deathcore bands, and then you have Boundaries, who lies somewhere in the realm of hardcore, metalcore, deathcore. They're kind of a blend of all of it. Mm. And their sound was just a little bit different than everyone else's. I thought they sounded pretty good. They definitely had all the energy. They put on a good show. Uh, but you can tell that they're still kind of up and coming and they still got a little bit of work to do on their live show. I really love the band on album. Um, I would say my only gripe about the whole show was the bass player does the backing uh, harsh vocals. And I did not care for his screaming. And mm -hmm. it made the song sound a little different to me, which made it a little bit harder to enjoy. Um, but what I didn't know was that the drummer does all the clean vocals and he nailed it. So I was pretty happy with that overall. They're a solid fucking band. If you haven't checked out Boundaries, they're definitely worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, I think they were appropriately placed on the bill as the opener. I'm not sure which song I came in on. They did play nine songs closed with My Body is a Cage. I thought they sounded really good. And one thing I will uh, note is this was uh, billed as a sold out show. And it was already pretty packed when I walked in there for Boundaries. So I think these fans appreciated top to bottom this lineup and were wanting to be there for everything. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And they started out with the moshing right from the start. Uh, we had all the all the Mortal Kombat kids in full effect during boundaries, doing spin kicks and picking up change, as Bobby says, you know, doing the whole deal. So they were having fun. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of Mortal Kombat stuff going on down there. Next up was uh, Brand of Sacrifice. Uh, they played seven songs, opening with the song Dawn, closing with Eclipse. I'm not super familiar with this band, but one of the highlights of this set for me was the third song in Lifeblood. Will Ramos from Lorna Shore came out and uh, the place got really wild after this point here. I mean, we already had moshing going on and as we talked about the spin kicks and stuff, but I think everybody was really excited to see Will and uh, it, it definitely brought the energy up in the room even more. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's crazy because the vocalist for Brand of Sacrifice is fucking sick. But then Will came out there and all of a sudden he sounded like an amateur in comparison. <laughs> Little puppy dog compared to Will out there. It's his demon. Yeah. And it's funny because if you look at the two singers, they definitely look like it would be the opposite way around. I actually messed up that order there. Uh, Brandon Sacrifice was third. Body Snatcher was the second band. Uh, their set was seven songs opening with Black of My Eyes, closing with King of the Rats. Again, a band I'm not super familiar with, but man, they really, they sounded good to me live. They tore it down. Crowd was into it, packed, lots of energy. Yeah, and I didn't know that Body Snatcher is from Melbourne, Florida. And uh, so they had a lot of hometown support. A lot of people from their hometown come out to support the mm -hmm. show. And people were stoked for this band. And I don't think they let them down. I mean, they were... They put on a super high energy show. And at that point, unfortunately for boundaries, by the time Body Snatcher came on, it started to get a little dark. So then we started to actually get a light show and stuff at that point, I think. Yeah, the lights started to pick up a little bit more and through there. Um, what was it? A 5, 5.30, the doors open and it don't get dark till about 7.30 now. I think the show yeah. probably kicked off a little bit after 6 o'clock. So, yeah. The fourth band in was uh, Shadow of Intent. Again, this is another band I'm not real familiar with. I went here mostly just to see Lorna Shore, but all of these bands delivered leading up to them. Uh, they opened with the track We Descend, going into the return. Nine songs deep. They got to Blood in the Sands of Time for a closer. Uh, the Migrant was in the middle of here, which is one of their newer tracks. Again, they sounded very good uh, about couple songs into their set i left the balcony and went down to venture into that crowd and see what the pit was about by this point most of the karate kids were gone the martial arts was done we just had some good fun moshing going on and the light show was definitely going off at this point yeah they were fucking brutal man i mean they they were great and yeah the mosh pit had grown quite huge at this point uh, I think, like you said, I, I think during Brand of Sacrifice, once Will Ramos come out, I think everybody was super pumped from that point, and it was just nonstop from then on. Definitely. He kind of set the tone there, and I wasn't really expected. He just hopped out there, and, you know, the crowd fed off of it for the rest of the night, leading yeah. into... I mean, he could have even... I don't even think he needed to sing. He could have just stood there and like ran his fingers through his hair and everybody would have went crazy. <laughs> He's in. so dreamy. <laughs> He's got a stage presence, man. You just you can't deny it. Uh, so by the time Lorna Shore came up on stage, I'm, I'm down there in the pit, in the middle of it. Everybody's excited. The energy's building. Uh, they, play, they play 11 songs total, but they open with... Welcome back, oh sleeping dreamer. And that place just went nuts. Like everything you want from Lorna Shore, they delivered on this set. These are all songs from the Will Ramos era. They didn't play anything old. So old time fans are probably disappointed. But I think everybody who was there, at least for the most part, this is the stuff they wanted to hear. Uh, was it eight, eight or nine songs off the new album? I mean, they pretty they played all yeah. but two songs off off Pain Remains. Which, I mean, is great because this is the Pain Remains tour, so that's what we wanted to hear, you know? Yep, absolutely. And I think that's what everybody wanted. Uh, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I don't dislike any of their older music, but definitely the new stuff with Will is on another level. So definitely takes it up. And they closed with the three-part Pain Remains uh, trilogy over 20 minutes. And, man, these guys sound good. This This is such technical stuff, and Will's vocals are crazy, and... 
from what I, from what I heard, and I had a pretty good spot for it. Man, they they fucking nailed it. Yeah, I think everybody. The band was firing on all cylinders. The you know the guitars sounded almost perfect. Everything was just super dialed in. Will definitely didn't disappoint live. I mean, all the crazy tricks that he pulls off on the album, he can do all that stuff live in person. And surprisingly, all of these weird grunts and squeals and blez and everything else, like they all still sound like they do on the album. So that shit's no accident. Like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he does. And it's uh, it's effortless. It's like effortlessly done. He just... Dude has a presence up there. They came on for the Outcore, which was to the Hellfire. Uh, I mean, that was to be expected. That is their biggest song still. It's the one that really took them off. Um, just great, great closer, man. Great, great set. I don't know if we'll ever see a better Lorna Shore set, man. This is this is everything I wanted from this concert. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that we didn't miss them on this run because, as Justin has said on the show before, um, this is the beginning of something really big, and they're going to be moving on to bigger and better things and maybe even a change in their sound at some point. And we got to see them right here, you know, right at this perfect stage in their career. And I'm really happy for that. Uh, I think it's quite a testament to the band when they can play a three-part epic song like that, like Pain Remains, to close out the show. And nobody loses interest. I mean, that's insane. Like, they played this long-ass trilogy, and the crowd was eating it up. Yeah. You know, and unlike the other bands on the bill, I mean, they don't really have these big breakdowns and stuff. I mean, it's it's more of, to me, it's like a more of a thinking man's type deathcore. Like, it's not, it's more technical. You know, it's not caveman beat, beat each other's ass type music. It's not built around the breakdowns like no, traditional deathcore is. Definitely not. But the crowd was into it, and I think people were just mesmerized. Um, Amy and I had like a probably a maybe 14, 15-year-old kid there. Nice. And his parents had brought him to the show, and they were taking turns staying with him. And it was so fucking cool because you could tell that the parents had zero interest. Um, but they were there to support their kid with what he liked, and I thought that was badass. Hell yeah. Lorna Shore is a lot to take in. If you're not into the genre, like, that's some heavy shit. He drinks his goat's blood. That's yeah. why we have that commercial. <laughs> right. You know, like. Bobby, so, Bobby, what is it you always say about Lorna Shore? He's got the uh, magazine cover looks old Ramos. And but yeah, another cool thing that uh, it, it's such a simple thing. But I really like Will on the stage and something that he does that not many people do is he intros all the songs. Like, he tells you the name of the song they're about to play. I know it's not a big deal, but how many times do you go see a band where you don't hear anything from the vocalist? You know, he might talk once or twice, and you don't know which songs are which. So, you know, if you're a new fan, you hear a song, you know, now you know the name of that song. And if you're, you know, already into the band, you can get pumped up because you know what's coming. Uh, just a subtle thing, but I, I do... Agree with Justin. I really like the stage presence that he has on the stage. And again, he's just so pretty. <laughs> just so dreamy. <laughs> but yeah, I, I also don't think there, there wasn't a lot of like chatter from the lead singers. You know, it would, there was no delays. These, these bands all just got down. They played. There was not a lot of delay in between bands. It was one of the most minimal delays or transitions between band to band that I've probably ever seen. I agree, and I think that at a certain point, we got to give kudos to Janice live in St. Pete for this because Bobby and I experienced a very similar thing uh, when we went to see Cannibal Corpse because there were almost, I think there were five bands there as well, and they flew through. Like, the downtime in between bands was almost non-existent. I mean, you had time to take a piss and grab a beer, and the next band was on. Yeah. And that is not always the case, so... That's a good way to keep the crowd energy up and keep everybody into it, not start to, you know, lose your adrenaline and start yawning and, you know, yep. needing the Red Bull and all that stuff. So so shout out to Janice and shout out to all the crews of all the bands to, made all, to make all of that happen. Uh, they gave us a good show, a good experience. And I will say that the sound in Janice is always very good, man. It's, it's excellent. If you're not familiar with Janice, it's like... 
there's buildings on all sides and there's a tree in the middle <laughs> and it's it's technically outdoors but you feel like you're inside because of the buildings on every side side of you but it creates a very good acoustic sound in there and it's it sounds great no matter where you're at yeah it's a very unique venue for sure any closing thoughts on uh the pain remains tour i wish there was two dates and i could go again yeah, I agree. Um, I enjoyed all the bands. I told Amy on the way home, the Lorna Shore set itself, I would honestly probably put it in my top five shows that I've ever seen. It was perfect. Uh, like, it was I, absolutely perfect. The light show was great. The band was great. The song selection was... You couldn't ask for anything more. You really couldn't. I mean, it was... Yeah, so if you're yeah. if you're one of these people that keeps hearing the name of this band, Lorna Shore, Lorna Shore, and you're like, why is this band getting so much hype? Go see them live, and you will understand. It's it's not just record label hype or media hype. These guys back it up. They put their money where their mouth is, and they go out, and they give you a fucking show. And I'll say, don't just blindly hate on them because you see the hype, because I, I see people hating on this band already. Because people talk about them all the time. There's a reason they're talking about this band. Absolutely. Lorna Shore, everybody. Make sure you check out the Pain Remains Tour when it comes to your town. If you haven't got tickets, you better get them right away. It's already sold out in a lot of cities. All right, everyone. That is our show for this week. Hopefully you enjoyed our conversation about the Pain Remains Tour. Don't forget to give us a like and a follow on Facebook and Instagram at 2Metal for this. Leave us some feedback or drop your own six list in the comments section and we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Make sure you tune in for the next episode. We will be discussing our top six 420 songs. You don't want to miss this one. Make sure you tune in. That's it for this week. Until next week, keep it metal and rage with respect. <laughs>